folks. It's, it's a blessing to be able to welcome each one of you here to this celebration of life service on behalf of Phil's family. And uh, we're all here because we love the man. And uh, 
And we're going to be reminded as we move along today, uh, not only how much we loved the man, but why we did, and what a unique man Phil King was. And so we're so happy that we have a large contingent of Phil's family that are here today. You know, some from West Virginia, some from Las Vegas, probably other parts that I don't even know anything about. But uh, I'm so delighted that each one of you are able to be here with us today as we celebrate Phil's life. So at this time, why I'm going to ask David Brunel if he would come forward. And David is going to offer a scripture reading and lead us in a word of prayer and share whatever he chooses to. Good afternoon. This is a reading from the oldest book in the Bible, from Job. And Job said, As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God, whom whom myself shall behold and whom my eyes will see, and yet not another, my heart faints within me. And from 1 John 3, 2, in the New Testament, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him, purifies himself, just as he is pure. And from Psalm 73, verses 21 through 24, Asaph writes, When my heart was embittered, and I was pierced within, and when I was senseless and ignorant, I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you before you. Nevertheless, I am with you, and you have taken hold of me by your right hand. With your counsel, you will guide me and afterward receive me to glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we so love and adore you. We are gathered together now in Jesus' name to memorialize our dear friend, uh, Phil King, And I know many of us are here because of you, Lord. Uh, We wouldn't even know Phil if it wasn't for Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray your mercy upon us, your strength, encouragement, and comfort uh, be upon us and be on the family um, to just remember Phil and what a loving person he was, what a giving person he was. And you said, love me with all your heart, mind, and strength. And so we do. And Jesus added, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Phil King exemplified that. And we thank you, Lord, for the privilege of knowing this fine man. In Jesus' name, amen.
Good morning, or good afternoon, sorry. <laughs> the choir is singing today in honor of Phil. And that guy would have been standing right over there next to Dale, belting his heart out. Not always in key, but God loves a joyful sound. That's right. And that was Phil. Amen. Cleansing. 
an old, old story, how a Savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning, of his precious blood atoning, then I repented of my sins and won the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever, he sought me bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is to him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing blood.
Well, that was sort of like a runaway freight train. <laughs> but it was good, you know, because, you know, Phil specialized. He specialized in the rolled away. I mean, he could bring that out really loud and clear. I can hear it now. Praise the Lord. Now, two of Phil's family members are going to come and share his life's biography. They're going to introduce themselves to you and then uh, pray for them because this is not an easy time. All right? So come on up. Hello. Thanks for coming. I'm Kelly Yoke. I'm the youngest of Phil's daughters. The best, you would say, I guess. Um, so, um, thank you, you all. You would say, yes. Yeah, yes. I would say. I said that. Yes. Um, so, thank you all for coming. Oh, I'm um, Debbie, and I'm Phil's oldest niece. I'm the daughter of his... Um, I'm not going to be that's okay. I am. I can. She was here in case I can't. Um, however, I, I, I can. I specialize in having something to do, so this is actually helping. So I appreciate that. I really do. Um, so um, with that, um, as we all know, um, Philip Wayne King was born into this world on June 27th in 1953 in Michigan to his late parents, Delbert King and Laverne King. And the world hasn't been the same since. Entering this world with a fuss set the stage of how Mr. Phil King lived his life. Phil's tall, broad stature of six, six and a half, and don't you forget that half, was paired with his larger-than-life personality everybody took notice of, whether you wanted to or not. <laughs> he drew people in with his easy smile and his belly laugh and pushed just as many away with his blunt approach and his booming voice. But pair all that loud, blunt, carefree nature with his loyalty, his love, and his dedication to his family, friends, and the Lord. And you were left with an incredible Incredible man and an even more remarkable father. Phil spent his youth moving and traveling often, already experiencing more love, loss, and adventure, and the trouble that he was most known for. <laughs> By the age of 18, than more people have experienced in a whole lifetime. One such adventure found him in Gilmer County, West Virginia, where he met Mary Kelly. Little did he know, his love lost in that trouble he was so fond of had really just begun. Marrying and moving to Las Vegas, Nevada in the year 1972, just shy of 20 years old, the young lovebirds soon experienced the birth of their first child, Brandy in the year 1973. A whole 10 years later of living, laughing, loving, and of course some more of that trouble, brought about the birth of their second child, Barbara, in the year 1983. And two years later, 
the birth of the favorite in 1985, Kelly. All that knew Phil for even a brief moment or for years was likely to hear about his three daughters and then later on the grandchildren that we finally gave him. <laughs> Phil's daughters were his absolute pride and joy and his love for us knew new limits. If it was paying somebody to be Santa or birthday celebrations or simply everyday life, his, he wanted his daughters to have the best of everything and know that they were born kings into this world. And their dad always loved them and loved them even more. Life, love, and that trouble that he was so fond of found his life on a very different path in the early 90s. Divorced from Mary, moved to Laughlin, and later married to a Darlene D. Mayo, the early 90s wasn't very fond and very kind to Phil. And that trouble seemed to find him more and more. And eventually, a life of addiction seeped in. Some years later, and another divorce, found Phil's path leading him to the one Miss Roseanne Winslow, fondly known as Annie. Shortly thereafter, Phil turned his life over to the Lord and became an active member of the Laughlin Community Church, ending a lot of his trouble-seeking ways. And leading him to help and serve others in the Lord's name. Phil was a lot of things. He was a son, he was a brother, a juvenile delinquent, a dish boy, a line chef, an equip repairman, a husband, a father, a softball umpire, an uncle, a driver, and the list goes on and on and on. For Phil, never sat long, or still for long, and was always on to the next thing. However, one of the most important roles that Phil fulfilled on this life, on, his life on earth was being the child of the Lord. With that role, we know that Phil's life isn't ending, yet just beginning. And he will have everlasting life through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And hopefully, the Lord has blessed him with that better singing voice that is fit for the angels. On behalf of the King family, I would really like to thank you all for attending. I'd encourage you to say, stick around and share your stories of Phil, because I know there's many. And again, thank you.
us to the river Take us there in unity to sing A song of your salvation To win this generation for our King A song of your forgiveness For it is with that river flows So take us to the river In the city of our God Take us to the
I do want to mention to you that the reason why you're sitting at the tables the way you are right now is because immediately following this celebration of life service, why a luncheon will be served, and all of you are invited to stay for that luncheon. Now, this is a time when we invite you to come forward, both family members and friends who would like to share a memory in regard to Phil, and I'm sure that there are many such as to whether or not you choose to share them all, that's another question. But we'll ask you, if you're going to share, to come to the pulpit so that the microphone is here. Um, and if you're tall, adjust the mic, and if you're short, you know. But uh, the reason being, there are people that are watching online right now, and they would only be able to hear you if you come to the microphone. And then the video will be av av available this service for those that are unable to, to plug in at this particular moment in time. So at this time, I'm gonna just step aside and, and, uh, and any of you that would like to come and share, invite you to come to the microphone and share at this time. What do you used to say, yo buddy? The, yeah. yeah, buddy, yeah, buddy. Um, the reason I jumped up first was uh, um, when I retired, uh, Phil, they asked me if they wanted to say anything. I didn't want the floor opened. And, but Phil um, jumped up before I could tell my boss not to open the floor up. And, and uh, he spoke at my retirement, which is something I had heard for years and years and years. I was in the 90s. I'm the one I met uh, when Kelly talked about Phil's troubled times. I was one of the police officers here in Laughlin. And I met Phil, and I never had an issue with him. He was always very cordial with me. Um, but somewhere along the way, and I don't remember it, which is a horrible thing, but somewhere along the way, I invited Phil to, to church. And he reminded me every chance he got, whether it be on the stage or whatever, just, my God, you invited me to church. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And, and I can only tell you, I don't remember it, but that man gave me more pleasure over the next whatever years telling that story because I kept thinking, man, I, what a great story for, you know, that I would, you know, but I wasn't me, it was God. And that's the thing about, about Christ. You're not, you have to be the first in line or the last in line. You just got to tell people about Jesus, invite him to church. And the transformation of that man through Christ is, I can only tell you that I knew him before, even though he wasn't horrible around me, he transformed into a, a man that, that filled a room full of people to come see his, his funeral and to, to talk about him and to love him. He's a figure that transformed this community. It's it's. If you could just have a couple people that, that recognized who you were and, and you changed their lives, this man did it to so many people. Um, he was our custodian for a while, and he would then get the people that were in court. He then was the, the, the ones that got community service. That's what he did. And, uh, and he watched over them, and I know he shared the gospel with them and the love for, uh, for Christ that he had. But he was, he, was, he was an amazing man. My three children loved him um, just because he was so, well, loving but loud. And everybody knew when Phil was in the house, he was in the house. And, um, you know, what's, what's, what, what's kind of another thing that is missing is that Phil would always come up and say wonderful words about people at, at their, for their family members. And, and it's just sad because uh, him and then, I know Mr. Barker, I'm not sure if he's here today. I just came, I, we just came from another, another uh, funeral of a, uh, 
a, a coach. He was a he coached with me, and he knew Phil. And uh, it's just ironic, but uh, Ben would always come up, and unfortunately Ben's not here. So it's going to be a great, great loss for this community and for this church. And I just, real quick, I just sent him a, a card, um, and he was a Broncos fan, and I was a, I'm a Vikings fan. And, and um, so I sent him a card with a sticker for, you got a sticker? So I told him, I said, put that on your car. And he goes, I will if you send me another one. I'm like, why do you need two? And he, he goes, well, I, got, I need two mud flaps. So you're going to take my, car, my Vikings and make a mud flap out of it. But anyways... Wonderful man. I don't think there's any doubt in anybody's mind how much Phil was loved. I've known him for a very long time. My daughter, who's here, played Bobby Sox softball. And Phil was the umpire. Well, my husband, Malcolm, who's been gone for a while, would stand behind the home plate, behind the fence, with a cigarette so that Phil could turn around and take a drag whenever he felt like it. That's what Malcolm did for Phil. They were very, very good friends. But beyond that, if he was an umpire, not a coach, if a kid walked up to the plate and was holding his bat wrong or her bat wrong or was standing in the wrong position, time out, hold everything, and he would walk up there and turn the kid around. The love he had for the kids was so obvious. His heart was for kids and for this community. And the biggest blessing in the world was when he walked through the doors and came into this church And he knew he had known me for a long time. He'd known Heather for a long time. Um, There was just something about Phil. It was always there, but he had to turn around and ask Christ to come into his life to fulfill what he knew. He He was the most awesome man. And yes, when you could hear him, He asked Summer one time if he could be on our praise team, and she said, sure you can, just sing from the parking lot. (laughs) You could hear him in the back of the church screaming, rolled away when it got to that point. He was was such a part of everybody's life, and having known him for all those years, umpiring and, and being who Phil was. And we loved Annie, and, and Annie, we loved Annie, and... Annie was a big part of the church, too. So thank you so much for sharing your dad with us. This is going to be kind of tough. Um, Pick our budget. I hope again. I didn't get a nice suit to not to speak with my father-in-law's funeral. That's for sure. How about? Um, <laughs> I was uh, blessed uh, meeting my wife this, and uh, having father my my father-in-law come into my life right along with him. I didn't know I was getting this whole package, and. Um, 
you know, the same year my mother passed away, the same year I got married. You know, I share this story a lot that, you know, I had a father and I had a stepdad as well, but this man did more for me in the 20 years that I've been married than both those guys together. He reminded me of the family ethics and the morals that my mother instilled in me that they're right and they're, you know, and just continue on with those. He asked me all the time to do that, and I promised him I would. One time, my wife and I spontaneously went out by an RV. We rented an RV, and off to Yosemite we're going, and we called him and asked him, you going to drive it? And he's like, absolutely. So my wife and I got to sit in the back and let him drive all the way around Sierra Nevada. And we got to a point where there were just clouds, and he just couldn't believe it. So he pulled over and um, pulled out a chair and said, this is the closest to God I'm ever going to be. He sat there and for at least an hour more, and he just was amazed that he was in the clouds. And just being there, he just couldn't believe it. My point is, Pops, you're closer to God now than you ever will be. He did so much for me in my life. It's unbearable to think what I, my life would be without him. And just to have that moment, I'm so blessed to have him those, these years. I really was. One thing I share with this congregation today and these people and everybody that loved him here and that's here I, I just I'm so blessed to see this he is too I know he is looking over each and every one of us was the um, the Christmas we had this year for some reason it seemed to we have him every year you know we always have a nice dinner and everything on Christmas day but this year for some reason it just seemed to sway in his direction meaning that it just, things just happened a little bit better for him, and things just meant more meaning to him this year, and it just really started going that direction, and he kept mentioning one of the most beautiful Christmases he ever had, and that was just, it meant so much to me as being the man of the family to handle those issues and to be, to be able to give that, and because I am truly blessed that I can do that. At the end, he kept maintaining that he was such a nuisance in my home. And I kept explaining to him, no, Dad, the burden, the burden. He kept saying, I'm such a burden. I kept explaining to him, no, Dad, it's a blessing to be able to do this. Most people in the world don't have this opportunity. And I was blessed to have him there and to able to take care of him and so on. And I truly believe that in my heart, that that's the way. And one thing he taught to me, one of the biggest lessons he taught in my life especially at my mom's funeral, was this is the way it's supposed to be. This is the way you're supposed to handle it. This is the way it's going to be. So many ways he was right. I am truly blessed with a beautiful family. On, 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 every, on every end, I look at my sisters, I look at my wife and her family and just everybody together. And that will never change in my heart, never be. I always will have those ethics and those morals, but family comes first. And God is the reason why. Because without him, 
we don't have anything. And I'm an advocate of that as well. I love each and every one of you for coming out today. It meant all the world to me. It just means the world to me, my family, and Phil's family too. Pops, I'm going to miss you so very much. But you're always going to be in each and every one of our hearts. Because like you said, he was such an uplifting person. And you know, and that's just the way he was. And that's just the way it's meant to be, as he would teach me. Thank you so much. I'm uh, Chad Drennan. I was Phil's nephew. Uncle Phil's my mom's brother. And I want to share some stories of his life in West Virginia. Because I tell you, there was, there was two people in this world that God lit up a room like no other. That was my mother. She had a smile that boom. I mean it Uncle Phil was the same way. And I tell you he'd come in and uh was what was great was <laughs> deer hunting. And me and my brother, we were kids, he didn't care a whole lot about hunting. But Uncle Phil and and Aunt Mary Ellen's husband Ike, they would they would come in and they would do some deer hunting. Actually, they'd watch my dad deer hunt. <laughs> they, Uncle Phil, Uncle Ike, come in, and I'm I'm gonna clean it up because hey, Dad burn. So basically, I think the only reason you invite us to come hunt is just drag your deer. <laughs> so then, this one year, I think me and Jason, we could. We could talk Uncle Phil in about anything. And we we had a little of that ornery streak in us that, that our Uncle Phil had in him. I mean, we was all there at one time. But he went over and he gets his ex-wife's van, minivan. That way he could carry everything around. Well, me and Jason was in that minivan, and we're like, Uncle Phil, it's, it's about 10 o'clock at night. And I was like, Uncle Phil, let's go down here and look for some deer. Next thing you know, I mean, the hayfield was, it was tight. I mean, they were deer all over the place. I was like, get them, Uncle Phil. I mean, rooster tails were flying off that. We're, we're trying to hit deer with, with his ex-wife's minivan. <laughs> so then we, we stopped, and we couldn't get any of them. And we see this, we see this big old buck. And Uncle Phil's like, man, look at that, look at that. And we're like, yeah. Yeah. I was like, I was like, Uncle Phil. I was like, what? And I was like, throw this thing in reverse and floor it. He threw it in reverse. Next thing you know, I mean, we're tearing up this dude's meadow. We're just busting donuts in reverse. Just, I mean, all you cars driving by. And I mean, this is West Virginia fun. I mean, if you've never been to West Virginia, I'm talking, you go, you go do some holler hopping. And the next thing you know, you're, you're busting donuts in somebody's meadow. We... We had a great time. We get home, and we tell my dad about that buck. Uncle Phil's like, I'm going to get it tomorrow. Of course, Dad tells him where to go, and Dad goes up there and shoots, shoots the deer, and next thing you know, Phil's dragging it down off the hill. <laughs> he, he's, Dad burn it, Basil. 
that burnt. But some of my favorite stories was when uh, he lived with us for about a year and a half. Me, my father, my brother, and my mom. And uh, I think it was my sophomore year in high school. And I was the one that played basketball. He went to every game, traveled. And the thing is, it was him and my mom in the same area. Neither, I don't think neither one of them knew anything about basketball. <laughs> I think both of them, the only thing they knew was if you weren't ahead by one or at least tied at the end of the fourth quarter, then you lost. <laughs> but you could hear, you could hear, I mean, you, you guys talking about church, you can get him to a ball game. I mean, it was, and I, I had I had players on my my teams like, does that embarrass you the way he acts? I was like, nah. I was like, I love him. I was like, he's a good dude. And I was like, I, I wish you all had uh, had people like that supporting you the way my family supports me. And I always always cherished that because he he would just, I'm telling you, I mean, it, it embarrassed it embarrassed the players on my team. I didn't care. <laughs> I mean, people would get up and walk away. Now, as I got older, I took him to a softball game, and I was one of those people who got up and walked away. I was like, I was like man, dude, I was like, I got to live here. <laughs> I was like, you can take your happy butt right back to Laughlin, but I got to deal with these people. But I want to end on, uh, on the last little thing. There's a, in our town of... Uh, Glenville, West Virginia. That man was loved. I mean, you you guys, you guys loved him. But he was he was well loved on both both coast. There's a restaurant, and I mean, my mom worked at that restaurant. It's just a little mom and pop shop there in the one red light town, maybe two stop signs. It's I mean, it's a small town. But, I mean, it's our town, and it was Uncle Phil's town. And there's a lot of people in West Virginia just as much. He touched a lot of people. I mean, he really did. And I'm going to miss him coming in, annoying the heck out of us, and then just sweeping right back to Laughlin. And, and I'm like, I, yeah, i got to live here. It's all right. But he would come in that restaurant, and he'd sit, and he'd drink his coffee and eat. It'd be 20, 30 people in there. It didn't matter who it was. Everybody listened to him. I think for a simple fact, because nobody else could get a word in or talk louder than he could. <laughs> but, you know, there's... That man had a lot of love to give, and he gave a lot of love. And there's... There was a lot of ornery in him, and there's a lot of ornery in us. He, he thought it was a lot... A lot of life lessons growing up. And no matter what coast we lived on, if we was out here or he was in West Virginia, he always got a phone call. Now, he might have called you 25 different names <laughs> before you get to it. And I was joking with my brother earlier, and, and he, would, uh, he would stay with me a lot when he came in West Virginia, and we'd be sitting on the couch, and... 
He'd just say, now, Jason, now, Basil, now. I would, at this point, I would just grab my phone and start playing a game because it'd be about 10, 15 minutes before he finally got to Chad, and I'd be, all right. And, and you just, you couldn't interrupt him because if he, if he lost that train of thought because he already went through 25 names, if you interrupted him, he was going to start all over again. <laughs> and then it was going to be, now, Jason, now, Basil, now, it, Rick. And uh, that's, that's why I just wanted you fine people to know that our family really appreciates the love you gave that man. There's a lot of people in West Virginia that appreciates the love he gave them, the love he gave you all. And my family appreciates you all. And we love you. Thank you. Hi, y'all. Um, what else can be said about Bill? Big, lovely man. Big heart. He was not only a gentleman, but he was a gentleman. And we loved him. I loved his bear hugs. And I can see him now, as Babs stated, with his singing. I'm glad that uh, people over there, <laughs> Rudy and Mike, followed up. Phil started me with uh, volunteering here at church. Uh, I was helping in the kitchen, the old kitchen, not this one, the old kitchen. I had just started church. So he showed me the ropes and everything. It's very funny. But what I remember, too, is his laughter, his big voice, you know, his hugs. And he was helping everybody, you know. He, uh, that man was tired, not Tired, but tired, how do you say it? Tired less, tired less, you know. But I can see him now, up in heaven. And Miss May going crazy and say, Phil, you're not on key. Yes, ma'am. Phil. Yes, ma'am. So he'd come over, and I can see him hugging her because we just, you know, she's up in heaven too. And I can see him with the gentlest little hug, a big man. Miss May was my height, wife too, you know, and hugging her. Stop it. Stop it. Get on cue. Get on cue. And that's how I can see Phil. And all he did was, la, 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 la. Philip, I just told you to shut up. That's all I have to say. hard to follow somebody talking about Phil. Every one of us have got something. 
But let me tell you what he did to me, personally, the negative side. He started singing in the choir, and I don't remember what the operation was, but he had a major operation. And when he came back from that, we had that group come through that comes through every year. And they recognized Phil. Yeah, Blackwoods, there you go. And they recognized Phil, and that got him, hmm. He decided he was going to sing in the choir. And yeah, <laughs> he was going to sing. <laughs> the Lord says, make a joyful noise. And by golly, he did it. He did it. And he worried about it. Deep worried. And he'd stand next to me in the choir. And um, he'd sing, and then he'd whisper like this at, through the mic. So come through the mic. How'd I do? Was that all right? <laughs> Yeah, Phil, I'll let you know if you don't. I'm on key? No, but you're okay. You're okay. We first started singing in the choir. We were over there. And, of course, there's a baptismal behind the, where the choir stands. And, he's, this, and I have only known him about two weeks at this point in time, personally singing in the choir. And he's standing there, and he says, look. He says, I got a defibrillator and a pacemaker. If something goes wrong, I'll just stiffen up like this and fall backwards. <laughs> oh, really? He's a big guy. He tells me this in the middle of a song. And for the next three or four weeks, I'm worried to death that I'm standing here. And he's standing, I'm holding on. You look at some of the other videos, you'll see me standing with the stance for worry that he was going to pop out on me. And so I said something, Phil, I said, I am just worried to death. Is there anything I can do or any?" He said, oh, it's never happened before, but that's what it'll look like if it does. I said, what? So I've been worried for all this time. And he thought that was cute. He laughed about it. It was funny. Another one was when he bought that black car of his, he had to go back a few days later to turn it in for something. It was just a maintenance thing. And so he said, you want to go up there with me? we got to be up there at 8 o'clock. I said, 8 o'clock? That, that translates to me getting up about 5. And since I retired, I look at a regular day at 10 o'clock. You know, I do not get up. But, no, he would he talk me into it, so we went. Drove all the way up there. And, you know, for all you hear about him could not remembering names, that guy knew exactly where he was going. And it ain't straightforward. I mean, you got to do a little. And at that time, Henderson was doing a little road work, and he knew how to get through it. Yet he couldn't remember a name. You know, he'd spend a week talking about Joan, 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 my wife, Joan, 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 so he could remember her. And then he'd come in there and call her Janet. You know, I'm just, it's the way he was. But anyway, back to this thing on the, we went up there, and he said, and he got me started because I said something. We were listening to a song running, riding around. And he's this song, um, Mustang Sally. Those of you that are old enough remember it. And he's, oh, there's a Mustang Sally up there where I'm going to take my car. Really? I said, well, shoot, I'll go. He's, oh, it's a wonderful little place to eat. And I'm going to buy you breakfast for going with me. I said, doggone, that's a pretty good deal. So we got up there, sat down, and it is a nice place. And and oh, I let, he says, you want me to order? I said, yeah, I just want a cup of coffee and whatever you're going to order for me for breakfast. 
I got one biscuit and a little bit of gravy. That's what his breakfast was to me. Because it was a buck and a quarter and it was a good deal. Because he had just bought that car. That was Phil. There's another one. I don't think Jim's going to get up. You're not going to get up, are you? There's another one. Him and Jim were batting at each other going out the door. And Nadine is sitting right next to her son there. That silver-headed lady back there looks so pretty. Um, she and him, she, they were batting back and forth about her, I think. I don't know the whole topic of the conversation. But I do know that. When they got to a certain point, Fred, Phil stopped and said, Now listen, son, you better watch what you say. You could be calling me daddy pretty soon. <laughs> One last thing I told him I'd say to you. I promised this to him years ago. When anybody says they can't sing in a choir, Yeah, he was there. He was my friend. And I'm glad I knew him. I'd like to just open with the scripture. Um, this is one of the parables. Um, it's from Luke uh, 11, 33 through 36. It's the uh, New Living Translation. No one lights a lamp and then hides it or puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where the light can be seen by all who enter the house. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when it is unhealthy, your body is filled with darkness. Make sure that the light you think you have is not actually darkness. You are filled with light, with no dark corners. Then your whole life will be radiant, as though a floodlight were filling you with light. Um, I wanted to share that because uh, my first experience of Phil was when I responded to one of the slides that they had in church when I came, came to start going to church in 2016. And um, we said, we need help in the church. And I said, okay. So I said, well, who do I talk to? And I think it was Barbara at the time who said, go talk to Phil. And I said, okay. So I went up to him. I didn't know him. <laughs> uh, I knew he was loud. <laughs> so I was a little bit afraid. Um, so I went and talked to him, and I, he says, well, okay, come see me. Well, make a date. You know, you, you come and see me. We have an appointment. Meet here at the church. I said, okay. So we sat down in one of the round tables here in this room, and um, he's very serious, you know. He said, we need somebody to wash the windows in the church. I said, okay. I said, he said, I said how do you want me to do You mean all the windows? And so he walked me around the church and showed me all the windows he wanted me to do. And he, he basically gave it up to, to me. You know, he says, this is your job. You know, you, you do it however you want. And um, I'll make sure that I'm here when you want to do it. You know, because I, I was busy. I was doing a couple jobs at the time. So, um, But I would come here and wash the windows. And um, I, I was a new Christian then. And I, you know, I was studying the Bible. And I... 
I came upon, this was one of the parables that Jesus says, you know, and then, you know, Jesus talks about that, and he says, you know, I talk in parables so that people can understand what I'm trying to say. And um, I, when I washed the windows, I could see the light coming in through the windows, and I knew that that, that the windows needed to be clean so that when people showed up, they could see the light coming in, and they could feel the experience of Jesus coming into their lives. I mean, it was just, it was one of the best parables that became true to me. And it was all because of Phil and his love and compassion. And um, yeah, he was a little bit overbearing, but um, it didn't bother me. Um, you know, I'm, for those of you that don't know, I'm retired chief petty officer in the United States Navy. And um, so I'm kind of serious sometimes. And I guess not so much anymore, but, um, you know, I was a sailor, and I served my country. And um, after I met Phil, he says, you know, we're kind of alike, you know, because now I, I'm a soldier, but I'm a soldier for Christ. And I said, yes. And I said, yeah, buddy. <laughs> so he liked to say that. So, um, yeah, I, he used to call me his little sis, and I just, I... He was my brother. He is my brother in Christ, so I'm going to miss him. Hey, guys. Um, my dad was perfect. He was my cheerleader. He was there. But um, when we were talking about Glenville in West Virginia, that town knew him every time he came. Um, 731 people, 500 has reached out to me personally to say something about this man. Um, I just wanted to add that I appreciate Laughlin Community Church, everything you have ever done for him. You made him right, and you helped. You did so much. Um, the celebration in the hills, us hillbillies. <laughs> are going to have a memorial service for him, too, in August. We're going to light up the hills um, just to celebrate this man one more time. He needs it. He needs to know that we are always going to remember him, and he will always be with us. Thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Like the rest of you, we've known Phil a long time. I uh, referred to him as the brother I never wanted. <laughs> Brandy said I got him. Yeah, the girl said I got him. Hillier was unique. That man had a heart of love for so many people. And he was sorely missed. But I know that we are so happy that he is joyful, that he doesn't have pain, he doesn't have sickness. His heart is right, and he can walk with breath, with breath in his. Everybody who knew, knew Phil couldn't walk from this podium to that chair without having to sit down. And the things he did for our church, 
and the volunteers that he had and the friends he made here in Laughlin, Bullhead City, are going to miss that presence, that larger-than-life person. And we used to talk all the time, and he'd tell me things I didn't even want to know. <laughs> because Brandy wasn't here, or Barb wasn't here, or Kelly wasn't here. Believe me. I was like, um, like I said, a sister. And um, he would uh, come over to our house for holidays because, he, you know, the kids wouldn't be around. We... His church here was the family when you couldn't be here. And we all loved him. We miss him. That voice, you could hear him come before you even saw him for days and weeks. And like they said, when they told him to go, he was going to join the choir, you can just sing in the parking lot, but you'll be fine out there. But Bill loved the Lord. And I tell you right now, when he first started out, he'd come and ask me questions. I was the church clerk. And he'd ask me questions about the Bible. I'm thinking, oh, please, Lord, it's not my calling. But the one thing I do remember, he says, what does this say about forgiveness? I, I told him what the Bible said. It said, until you forgive someone, you will not be forgiven. He said, I don't like that part of the Bible. Do I have to pay attention? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't write it, Bill. He did. <laughs> so he was always asking questions about the Bible. And like I said, he came to know the Lord late in life. But we are rejoicing, rejoicing that Phil is in heaven. And he's dancing on those streets of gold. Thank you for coming. We love you. We have men's breakfast here. We have for a long time. This is the eatinest church I've ever been a part of. Anyway, at one of these men's breakfasts, Ben Barker comes up to me and says, there's a guy I want to introduce you to. His name is Louie, and he's having trouble with the Bible, and he wants to understand better. And I said, yeah, fine. We'll, we'll get together one-on-one. -on -one. Well, of course, Phil was there with his food, you know, and... In Phil's mind, he heard something different. So he gets up in front of everybody and says, Dave's starting a Bible study. I said, what just happened here? God, is this from you? Or who is this guy speaking for me? And so it was born. We, we did. We started a Bible study, and God blessed it. And it was wonderful. And later on, uh, Phil was part of that. And we'd be cruising along. And all of a sudden, Dave, stop. I go, yeah, Phil, what's the matter? And he says, I don't understand that. I said, OK, what don't you understand? And we'd go back, and we'd go through it. And I, I just love that. I got this picture in my mind of, of Phil King on a train. And we were all on the train. And Phil just gets up and pulls, the, pulls down. Stop the train. <laughs> and I said, this is, this is absolutely, I missed that. We're still doing our Bible studies, but Phil's presence is so palpable. And he was just such a wonderful guy, and he, he truly loved the word of God. And I think that's something we, we had in common together. And he was very sincere. 
And when Barbara talks about coming to her and asking her about certain things, I can testify to that, that this was a very sincere, godly man. And I just wanted you, if you didn't know it, now you know it, that uh, Phil was truly a godly man and a loving man. Thank you. Coming up, KO. Okay. I've known Phil for 20 years. Worked with him a lot. Mostly projects. A lot of projects right here in this church. One time he asked me, and I want to use his voice, okay? I like the way Phil talked. He said, you ever fish? Yeah, I fished. You ever catch any? Phil, I have thrown back more fish than you've ever seen. There ain't no way. Well, we can make a bet on that. I know a special spot. Okay, fine, Phil. Let's go fishing. So I went over and bought a fishing license for Arizona, by the way. <clears throat> we made a deal. I was over at his house. He said, I have to blindfold you. I'm not going to show you my secret spot. Well, that, that's fine. I guess I could handle that. I'm, I'm going to win this bet, I know, but I can handle that. So I get to his place. We're getting ready to go. He says, you drive. <laughs> wait, wait a minute. I can't drive if I'm blind. I know sweat. Just, you got to promise not to tell nobody where we're going. You got it, buddy. If this is that good, I won't tell nobody. So we get in the pickup and we drive down. We go to the upriver side of the Laughlin Lagoon. If you, for you guys that don't know, the Laughlin Lagoon thing's probably 50 foot across, and it's just where the, when the river's up, the water goes in. When the river's down, the water comes out. You know, it's no big deal. I'd been on the other side 100 times. I didn't know you could drive to this side. So anyway, we get there. We get all set up on a beach, and you could see the fish swimming by. You know, and they were nice ones like this. Whoa, this is going to be fun, Phil. We spent three hours there, didn't catch a one. Couldn't even snag one. So, well, Phil, that's not too good, so we quit. A couple days later, we go back. I want to show you, we, something's wrong. We did something wrong. Okay, fine. We go back the second time. Same thing. There must have been 500 of them swim right by us. Did not catch a one. I said, Phil, this ain't too good. So we go a third time. And by then, I'm saying, you know, I don't know what's going on. Either they're seeing us. Something's wrong, we ain't catching no fish. We fished a couple hours, and I had, a, I had a little spinner, a little trout spinner. I told Phil, I said, I'll be right back. Oh, I forgot one thing. He said, bring $3. What's that for? He said, the first fish, the biggest fish, and the most fish. Oh, yeah, that's a standard thing. We did that all the time up north. So fine, I had my $3. Didn't catch nothing, didn't catch nothing, didn't catch nothing. So I take that little spinner, and I go up the river, I don't know, 50, 50 yards, and I throw it out there, and I catch a little bass about that long. And I was going to throw it back. No, you know what? That's a $3 fish. <laughs> so that's what I did. I took that back down to Phil. I said, here you go. Oh, we're getting ready to leave. I said, well, here, I want my three bucks. What are you talking about? I said, here, here's my fish. 
And he laughed at me. Oh, you brought that from home, didn't you? I said, no, I, I caught that in the river, buddy. I said, well, let's measure it. We don't measure a fish like that. He says, well, what do you do in Alaska with your fish? I said, well, we don't measure them like that. Well, how do you measure them? I said, between the eyes. Appreciate you all co coming to share. You know, it kind of really gives a true picture of the man that we're here celebrating today. We're going to pause for just a moment for a brief music video, and then we're going to share from God's Word for just a few moments.
I cannot possibly ever forget the first time I met Phil King. We were worshiping in the storefront over here on Cal Edison uh, before we ever purchased this property or built these buildings, of course. And uh, so we were in the storefront, and morning service had already begun. And uh, I looked back, and here's this big dude I'd never seen before walking through the door and set right in the back. And there he was. During the course of services there, why, there would be a time when I would give a children's lesson. And so I would invite the children to come down just right in front of the front row and to sit on the floor. And I'd pull up a chair and sit in front of them. And so there they were right in front of the front row on the carpet. And I started to present the lesson. And the next thing I know, that big dude got up from the back. He walked up and he sat in the very center chair right behind those children. And then he leaned over to where his head was right there with them. And he was more engrossed in what that lesson was than, than any of the rest of them. And for the next, I don't know, two or three Sundays, you know, this repeated itself. Well, of course, by that time... That first Sunday, I had met him, and I found out his name, and we talked for a little bit. And about the second Sunday that Phil was there, the service was over, and we were out front on the porch, you know, and I'd been there by the door shaking hands with people, and the last person had come out the door, and Phil came over to me, and he said, I can't believe it. And I said, what can't you believe? He said, that guy over there, and he pointed at Mike Cruz. He said, that guy's a cop. <laughs> and he, he just shook hands with me and said, welcome, brother. <laughs> and he was dumbfounded. One of the greatest memories and experiences that I have in my thinking, from the 20 years that God allowed me to be senior pastor here, is the conversion of Phil King and the transformation of his life. It was dramatic, you know. There came a point in time where Phil gave his heart to the Lord, and things changed. I mean, well, you all know how much things changed. And and Phil was serious about it, and, and he... And, and he made a full commitment to the Lord. And, uh, you know, there were a lot of things he didn't know about the scriptures yet. But he loved the Lord. And he knew that he wanted to serve him. And so, uh, over the years, as time went by, you know, our friendship grew. 
to where, you know, Phil and I came to really enjoy each other. Mainly, we liked to razz each other a lot. And uh, he loved it, and I loved it. And usually, a lot of times, it centered around sports teams, you know. I mean, I could never get Phil to explain to me how it's possible that a guy who calls West Virginia home could be a big fan of a team from the Bronx in New York. I mean, that was about as different as night and day, you know. But then he knew that I was a big Los Angeles Dodgers fan. And so we could harass each other back and forth because Phil, having spent as many years out here in the West as he had, he'd been to Dodger Stadium. So, but, but we, you know, we had fun. And the, and the one thing about that that we agreed on was the fact that that we both wanted to see the Yankees and Dodgers in the World Series against each other. And uh, that was one thing we wanted. I, I, I remember about, I think, 2016, what, one thing I would do when I was pastor here is that when, when Super Bowl Sunday came around, in the course of both 8 o'clock and 10.30 service, I would take a poll and have people, you know, raise their hands, you know, who are you rooting for? You know, 2016, you know, are you rooting for the Denver Broncos? You know, are you, good? Are you rooting for the Carolina Panthers? Well, evidently at that time, the only thing that Phil owned that had a Denver Broncos logo and stuff on it was a pair of pajamas. <laughs> so that Sunday on Super Bowl Sunday, Phil King wore his pajamas to morning worship service. And he voted for the Denver Broncos. Who won? <laughs> Who won? The first time Phil said to me, you know, Pastor, I'm going to go visit family in West Virginia. And I looked him dead in the eyes, very sober, and said, well, have you got your passport in order? <laughs> and he looked at me, and, and, and he said, but I don't, need, I don't need my passport. Well, I said, sure. You leave West Virginia, you're going to want to be able to get back into the United States. At first, he didn't realize it was a joke, you know, and the look was a little bit frightening. But then all of a sudden, it dawned on him. You could see the twinkle in his eye and the smile come across his face. And every time, every time he was going to go visit family in West Virginia, he'd come to me and he would say, I'm going to take a trip to West Virginia. Then he would pause and wait for me to say, have you got your passport in order? On, on, the, on the last Sunday, my retirement Sunday here, why, Phil came to me and he said, you know, Pastor, I'd like, if you'd allow me to, to let me stand up and say a few words. I had no idea what he wanted to say, but he came up and he said some, uh, some nice things. And then he says, I've got a gift that I want to give to the pastor. And out from underneath this pulpit, he pulled this bag. And out of the bag, he pulled the gift that he was going to give me. And then he put on a demonstration for me of how to use the gift. And so Phil showed me the gift that he had for me. And I've, you know, I labeled that a West Virginia TV tray, okay? <laughs> Thank you.
I well remember the wonderful time when Phil King gave his heart to the Lord. And I well remember the, the wonderful time in, in a private circumstance with some family that he and, and Annie Westlow were married. And then it was a hard time. For seven years ago, he lost his precious Annie. And Phil went through a little bit of dark, difficult time then. And then suddenly he got a grip on things and he centered his focus. And he centered his focus in two areas. One area was that he wanted to spend more time with family and giving family attention. And the second thing was that he wanted to do more for the Lord in the work of his kingdom. And that's where Phil put forth his energies. I want to point out one more thing, and that is this. We moved into our new sanctuary in December of 2005. In January of 2006, we baptized the first group of people that were baptized in the baptistry in the church. And this is their photo, and as you can see on the far side, there's that big dude standing there. He was one of those that was baptized, and Mike, as you know, he was a big load. <laughs> He was a big load. I just want to, to come to you for just a few moments here. Um, you know, we all know that we're going to miss Phil greatly. We all feel when we get in our quiet moments in regard to it, we all have a sense of loss in the sense that while we know it's his gain because he's with the Lord, it's our loss because we've lost his physical presence, which means and meant so much to us. But I want to, you to pause with me for just a few moments because I trust that through these scriptures we can offer a word of comfort to all of us. John chapter 14 and verses 1 through 6 says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, except through me. And as I look at this passage of Scripture, there are, are three thoughts that I believe, at least for me, are thoughts of comfort, and I trust that they will be for you as well. And the first one is this, and that is that peace is promised. Peace is promised. See what it says there? Let not your heart be troubled. Be troubled. You believe in God believe also in me. And so while for us, when we think about Phil's absence from our midst physically, there is some sadness that set in, sets in, even in the midst of this, we can have peace. We can have peace because we have a personal faith and belief in Jesus Christ, and that was Phil's foundation. We believe that even in the midst of the storm, even in the valley of the shadow of death, there can be peace that passes all understanding. And you see that clearly when you read the 23rd Psalm. You know, yea, though I walk through the valley, 
of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. So I simply want to say, first of all, as a word of comfort, that the Lord is here. The Lord is with us. We need to believe in him. We need to trust in him. And when we do, he will grant us his perfect peace. The second thought of comfort is that God has prepared a place for us. You notice that in John 14, it says, I go to prepare a place for you. And that's personal for each and every one of us. He's gone to prepare a place for each one of us. You know, you read in Genesis, and the book says that God created the heavens and the earth in in six days. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was God incarnate, he's been preparing a place for us for over 2,000 years. Boy, what a marvelous place. What a marvelous place that must be. What a marvelous place that is. This verse tells us that it's the Father's house and that there are many rooms. There's a room for Phil and a room for you and a room for me. And I find that to be comforting, and I trust you do too. Here's, here's the third thing, and that is this, that God has prepared a way for us to get there, a way to get there. Everyone wants to go to heaven, don't they? But not everyone's going to get there. There's a fallacy that takes place when someone passes away. You hear words like, no matter whether they were people of faith or not, you hear words like, they're in a better place. Or, you know, they went to heaven. Well, not necessarily, because there's a qualification for those that are going to go to heaven. You must know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. You must, by faith, have received him as your Savior. That is where the only hope is. You know, John 14, he tells us, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And heaven is where the Father is. Heaven's where the Father is. Every single one of us are travelers on a road that's called life. There's a lot of detours along that way. There are many side streets that we can get on and get lost. We don't need to be confused. We don't need to be lost. All we need to do is to follow Jesus. He will show us the way. In fact, he is the way. He will lead us. He will guide us. And I find that comforting. There's a song. There's a song that we used to sing in church. We ought to now. Which is this, you know. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. In that bright land where we'll never grow old. I'm in favor of that. And someday yonder, we'll never more wander, but walk those streets of purest gold. Now, some of you can relax. I'm not going to sing it for you, okay? But I want to ask you this. Do you see the mansion? It's just over the hilltop. The lights are on. The door is open. There's a meal prepared. There are friends that have gone. There's comfort. It's the eternal dwelling place of all of those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. I want to go there. I want to see Phil there. 
I want to see my parents who have gone before and my grandparents, my loved ones, my friends, hosts of people that I could name. I want to go there. Don't you? In childhood's days, our thoughts of heaven are pearly gates and streets of gold and all so very far away, a place whose portals may unfold to us some far-off distant day. But in the gathering of the years, when life is in the fading leaf, with eyes perchance bedimmed by tears and hearts oft overwhelmed with grief, we looked beyond the pearly gate, beyond the clouds of grief's dark night, and we see a place, a place where loved ones wait, where all is blessedness and light. And over all, we see the face of him who will bring us to our own, not to a far-off distant place, for heaven is, after all, just home. So think, if you will, of stepping on shore and finding it heaven, and taking hold of a hand and finding that it's God's hand, of breathing new air and finding that it is celestial air, of feeling invigorated and finding it immortality, of passing from storm and tempest to an unbroken calm, of waking up and finding yourself home. Our dear Phil has gone home. Oh, there's no disappointment in heaven, no weariness, sorrow, nor pain, no hearts that are bleeding and broken, no song in a minor refrain. The clouds of our earthly horizon will never appear in the sky, for all will be sunshine and gladness, with never a sob nor a sigh. We'll never pay rent for our mansions, the taxes will never come due, our garments will never grow threadbare, but always be fadeless and new. We'll never be hungry or thirsty, nor languish in poverty there. For all the rich bounties of heaven, his heaven-bound children will share. Praise God. Jesus has prepared that place for each one of those who, like our brother Phil, have placed their trust and faith in him. We're going to close this memorial celebration with this very brief video meditation, which is entitled, Going Home.
We're going to close with a brief word of prayer at this time. Remember to stay for the luncheon if you at all possibly can. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we can come to you at times like this. No one understands grief and loss, O Lord, like you do. We come knowing that you love us supremely and that you're concerned about each and every one of us. And I pray in regard to Phil's family right now, Lord, that you'll bring comfort to them, to his daughters and their husbands, to his grandchildren, his sister, his nephews, his nieces. Lord, bring comfort and strength to them. Bless them and guide them. And I pray, Lord, that their faith and trust might be solidly in you. And help us, each one, that each one of us might look to you in hours and times of need. Now, Father, we pray that you'll bless our fellowship together, that you'll bless this food, that you'll help us that we might enjoy it and, take, and make the most of it in honor of Phil, because he would. Oh, Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here.